one thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. When? What are we waiting for? Take this! Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 56. My guest today is Sandy Danto. Very lucky to have him on the podcast today. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Buddy. John Cheese is over there in the corner. And uh, Mike, we ready to go on Twitch, buddy? All right. Cool. We're doing it. So yeah, uh, don't be nervous. There's like seven or eight people watching. So I that puts me at ease because I was <laughs> I was you could see my hand trembling. And uh, sweating profusely. But that's just my natural state. So. Yeah, you don't seem like a guy that gets nervous. Do you ever get nervous? Yeah, of course. You know? I project something totally opposite of what I'm very nervous and neurotic. Right. But I project, you know, that I'm calm and collected and you don't feel fucked. Am I allowed to swear on a live stream? I think so. Right. If not, they'll just kick us off. Um, I just got beta blockers for auditions. I only, I only get nervous if there's stakes. Yeah. You know? Like, if there's something big involved. Yeah. Yeah. If so something's I'm, on the line. I'm almost kind of the opposite. Like, I only get nervous if it doesn't mean shit. Really? Yeah, it's stupid. Like, I'll be at, like, like say I go back to Kansas City in my hometown, and I'm doing some open mic, and people know that, like, I do this for a living. See, I don't think that there are no stakes involved. I think when you have friends or family come to the show, that there are stakes involved. You're showcasing for their approval and their validation of this decision you've made with your life yeah i hate it when friends or family come to see me dude me too unless it's a friend that like totally gets it and has seen me a bunch and it's just like can like give me notes instead of like oh, i haven't seen this person in forever they're gonna judge my whole life based on yeah. these next 15 minutes or if they've never seen you before and you know going in like it's gonna be a shit gig yeah and then they're like oh i saw i saw sandy and <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's he doing with his life uh, yeah exactly there's stakes involved in that personal stakes they're not career or financially based but i mean it's still right. you know they're gonna look at you a different way like my family my mom and brother and sisters came to see me i was with paulie shore and lansing and they sat right in the middle Dude, where i could so see them and i had to just avoid that part of the room with my eyes the whole time i was up there yeah i recently had that same thing happen to me i was in kansas city and my cousin and his wife again who had never seen me and like his 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 kids so who were my nieces and nephew or his his uh my cousins i guess i don't even know what my family whatever but they were sitting right to the left i mean literally just staring up at me and my family doesn't laugh at shit <laughs> so they weren't even laughing they're just staring at me and i'm like trying not to look at them or every once in a while somebody from my you know and i tell people if i i'm like dude I, you're welcome to come to the show but please don't say it's right it's i mean beyond that beyond just the the surveillance you feel you're under when it's somebody you know it's distracting to see a face that you recognize oh, yeah. when you're trying to just be in the moment and tell your jokes and be you. It's not like it distracts from, from you being you, but it's like it takes you out of it because you're so used to doing it for strangers mm -hmm. that when you see somebody you know, you're just like, well, it makes you rethink it. Is there anything? Because my act is, is personal. Right. I'm just like, is there anything in here that I haven't told anybody before in my family or yeah, to yeah. my friends or that I'm like, is this the friend I'm doing an act out of in my one joke? Mm -mm. You just, I don't want to, you know what? It's just, I, I appreciate your supporting. And then you feel like an asshole. Right. Because you're the one who's like, <laughs> don't, don't, you're supporting me but I'm not happy about it. Yeah. Know? And my sister came up to me after, I, and I was like, yeah, I had to sit right in the front. And she's like, how about, hi, good to see you. Yeah. And so then, you know, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a self-centered asshole. 
or when the first words out of your mouth was, I can't believe you were here, that sucked, you know, and they're like, <laughs> you know, and you're like so totally self-conscious about it. What I like is when I don't know that I've had, I don't know when someone's there and I had like a really good set and then I go out to the front and they come out, you know, and I'm hawking t-shirts or DVDs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they come out and I'm like, oh, you were here for that? Sweet. That's like, way better. Know. Oh, that's, yeah. That's best case scenario. Yeah. I don't want to know that you were there mm-hmm. if I know you. Yeah. Or if you're important in the industry. Yeah. I want to find out later. Because it's just like when you include variables, you know, all right, like the most of the time you go up on stage, you have a process of just mentally preparing. Mm-hmm. Everyone's is different, but it never usually includes, you know, somebody that you know. Yeah. Or somebody important to your career being in the audience. Yeah. So whenever that variable gets thrown in the mix, it's like throw. It's like cartoonishly throwing, like a nut or a bolt into machinery yeah. that'll clink around in there. And you don't want to be rude to people, but at the same time, you, you in your head you're like, could you just get the fuck away from me right now? Like, I mean, I'll be happy to talk to you after I'm done. You know, right. but they're, they're like, oh, you've been doing this for a long time. It should be no big deal to you. And I'm like, it's got nothing to do with it. Right. Nineteen right. years, it doesn't mean shit. I've talked to people who've done this for thirty or forty years. Henry Fonda used to puke up until he was seventy five years old before stage performances. Bill Russell, one of the arguably best basketball players of all time, used to throw up. Before every game. Really? Out of nerves, yeah. Because it meant so much to him every game. Right. He tried so hard and, and it, he really cared. So you'd throw up before every game out of nerves. Yeah. And you know, every, but everyone's thing is different. Some people can be mid conversation and just go right up on stage and do their thing and that's how they do it. Other people need to meditate before they go on. Other people need to like look at their set that they've done a million times, mm-hmm. just see the words. Yeah. So, you know, my my thing's changed over the years. I used to listen to, like, a funny song that made me, like, get into a goofy mood. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, that's the other thing. Like, when you have people come to the show afterward, you feel responsible for them. Yeah. You know? Especially if it's an out-of-town gig. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you do a lot of headlining gigs. Right. I do a lot of you know, featuring for other people. And so in that case, it's like, even if they're my friend, which, you know, is the case, I'm still, you know, it's their world. I'm living in. Yeah. So it's tough when I have somebody I know at the show that's like, so what are we doing after? And I'm just like, well, I got to see if it's, if, if my buddy who paid to fly me out and is basically paying me yeah, is okay with, doing something yeah it's know? awkward too when they're like do you want to get dinner before your show i'm like oh yeah i'm like all the time I'm like, i, I can't that. think of anything worse right. than no. trying to act normal before my show and eat dinner and i mean like you said i know some guys who are like like hey can i get another bowl of chili bro and i'm like how do you do that right, right before you go on stage <laughs> right yeah yeah I, yeah, yeah yeah i want to eat after like ideally afterward i just want to get like a meal and decompress and talk shit but what about there? Have you ever had friends or family come to the show, and they're like drunk, or they're like, put all the shots on? It's all on him. Yeah. Or like they're just being unruly, and then you're like de facto responsible yeah. for this asshole that showed up without telling you. Yeah. And just because you know him, it's like, oh god. It's always refreshing to hear this stuff from from another comic because I've been doing it for a long time, and I know that. Other comedians have these things happen to them and feel that way, but most of us are pretty good at not showing how we feel inside. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's always nice to hear like, like, oh, they're freaking out too. You know, like it's not just me that gets nervous about. Who's just cool with with like somebody that they know, acting like an idiot at their place of work? Oh yeah, that's uh, that that's a completely different thing altogether. I've had friends and family come and talk through the entire thing. Or kind of heckle me in a way, you know, like I've had friends and family do. Oh, that dude, too. it's the worst. Not, because... not to chime in. So I've had no, right. I've had opening comedians for me's family members, like almost sabotage my show. Like it was like anyway, that was the worst I've experienced. Oh, absolutely. This guy, this guy came and I was telling a story, and he was like, "I remember that. I was there." And I'm like, "This shit is all timing. Will you shut the fuck up?" 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> I've had it where what what John Sheezer just said off camera and off mic, where I was headlining and my friend came to the show and she was heckling and was saying very personal stuff about me yeah. during the other comic set. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like the whole show now is about you. And that isn't good for anybody going on stage or anybody watching. Yeah. I used to tell a story about uploading my dick to Facebook and which actually truly happened. <laughs> and and there's this guy in the crowd and he was like, I got the screenshot from it and just like all this stuff the whole time. You know, like people I went to like eighth grade with and shit. Just the whole time and you're just like afterwards. You know, they come up and they're like, hey, buddy, what's up? And I just want to go, you fucked up the whole thing. What is wrong with you? You know? And you, and you, then they feel so bad, and then you're just like, all right. And then you feel bad. Yeah. It's just, a, just if you're going to come, just sit where we can't see you. Enjoy the show. Um, don't heckle. My, my best friend from high school would come when I first started, and, it, like, if I'd said something kind of off, you could hear him. Like, he, after the laughter would die down, you could hear him go, what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Hunt, if you're watching, you're a dick. And he does it every show he would come to. He, he, when it would die down, what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you would hear that on your recording after the show? Yeah, or during the set, you know. And uh, some people would great. laugh. And it would just totally, especially when I was very first starting out, it would throw me off. Yeah. Um, what, you got a question over there? Mike Maudlin chimes in. What's up, guys? I was literally just watching Sandy's Chris Farley impression earlier today. Oh, wow. Sandy does that? some of them. I was watching some of your shit last night, and you do great impersonations. You're a hell of a dancer. Oh, thank you. Thank uh, you. That, that, that <laughs> dance video, um, if you want to pimp your YouTube. Oh, my, my fitness videos. Oh, uh, oh, on YouTube, yeah, I've got a, I've got a dancing video up. Somebody saw, so I do, uh, I, I work out incessantly which you would never be able to tell by looking at my body, but it just helps me keep some peace of mind mentally. And I work out a lot, but running specifically on the treadmill is like the most boring thing you could do. Yeah. So, you know, I'll listen to some music that, that gets my body going and I'll, and I'll just dance on a treadmill because it's more fun. Have you always worked out a lot? Um, since, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I think I knew that about you, and and you, you look healthier than when I first moved out to LA. Yeah, for sure. You know? <laughs> well, I used to have really long hair and just just more slovenly. <laughs> I'm still slovenly, but I was more slovenly. <laughs> but uh, you know, I've taken more of an interest in my health, I guess. But I've always worked out, and then a few years ago, I took a boxing class, mm -hmm. and it made me realize I'd never truly exercised before. Yeah. So now I'm more into like actual exercise that might have an impact on your health. Right. Instead yeah. of just like, oh, I hiked Runyon Canyon yeah. for 20 minutes. Which is good for you, certainly. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like I can, I can run a pretty far distance, but I do this thing called the Bowflex Max Trainer, and we got it for Christmas, and you do it for like 14 minutes. And I did it this morning, and holy shit, it's like the closest thing to being at a wrestling practice really? that I've ever done. And then you, you realize, like, oh, I'm not in as good a I'm not like in if someone broke into my house and I needed to fight them off and save my family kind of shit. Well, that's tough to say because <laughs> adrenaline so makes up for, like, I worked out and I, I had the adrenaline of dealing with some, uh, some conflicts. Some, I'm not really very... Um, confrontational but i had a couple confrontations that day mm -hmm. i worked out and i was like whoa i'm really killing it today yeah so i think if a burglar broke in your adrenaline would kick in you'd be surprised what a little uh cross training on the bow flex will do <laughs> mixed with adrenaline yeah. but i um my wife got a spin bike i just it hurts my taint too much i can't do it <laughs> i want to do it it looks real cool it's yeah. got like a screen and everything but I do this video game workout. It's not like I just play NBA 2K. Mm -hmm. But I, uh, you know what burpees are? Oh, yeah. Some people call them squat thrusts. Yeah. Where you like drop down, do a push up, and then push yourself back up and yeah. jump. I do, throughout the course of this exercise, like 150. Jesus. I do 30 to start. They're real hard. That's like, because the boxing class taught me like circuit training is yeah. what you got to do. So I'll do like 
30 before I start just to get my heart rate going. Then I do like 20 in between quarters of like a regular basketball game, but I'm playing video games. And I run in place like high stepping. And then during the free throws, I do jumping jacks. And during the timeouts, I do squats and push-ups. So it ends up being a pretty good workout. Yeah. But it's free and I can just do it at home. Yeah. Those are the best workouts anyway. Body weight exercises and all that shit. Push-ups and pull-ups and free squats and all that stuff. Once you start putting weight on bars, that's when you start getting injured and shit. Plus that stuff's boring. Oh, yeah. You're just repeating lifting a weight in the same way, making sure your body is in the same exact... It's. I just I used to do that, and I and I always thought this is so boring. And I I would have like workout buddies in college and and out here, and I got kicked out of a workout group in college because they're like you're you're too funny, not to like that's such a brag. <laughs> they're like you make us laugh too much, and we're just like you know we're trying to like work out, and I'm just like yeah, I'm trying to make this less. This is the most boring thing. Like I can handle. The strain on my body yeah. and the pain. I, I like that part. Yeah, I like that part a lot. <laughs> um, but just the the minutia and the monotony of it is unbearable to me. The only thing I like about running is sometimes I get pretty fired up. You know. Yeah. Like thinking about, uh, you know, when I have a kid and what I'm gonna say to him. You know, like all the shit that I didn't hear growing up that I wish I would have. Just all this, like you know, yeah. kind of dramatic stuff but i think about it it gets me kind of fired up you know oh i'll have to use that i i haven't i'm about to have a kid when is this going to happen actually in, in july okay under three months from now i usually just think to get myself fired up about all the people who've wronged me in my life yeah or specifically in comedy you know because yeah. that's usually where most of it comes now, from but now you grew up fully in detroit no detroit. like in the suburbs of detroit so or i mean I'm, i guess like your whole life um, yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my dad was in podiatry school when I was born in Ohio. And as soon as he graduated, we moved back to a suburb of Detroit called West Bloomfield, where it's known for being like Jewish and affluent, but we weren't, we weren't like those. I mean, we're Jewish, but like, you know, we're like middle, you know, middle right. class. Were you always the, uh, because you have something that cannot be taught in in comedy, which is extreme likability. Oh, like, well, like, as soon as you walk on stage, the, the audience likes you. And which is a blessing and a curse. And I'll say this. I do have that. It's great. It's more of a blessing than a curse. But I think when people see me walk on stage, they have this expectation of somebody that I'm not always what they... They want, like, a party guy. And which is what I used to be. Like, when you're describing me when I look less healthy... That's when I was like party guy persona, pot smoking guy persona. And that's just like, I've grown out of that. And I can't just be that on stage. It's like, I've, it's not who I am anymore. Yeah. Can we call that like your Camaro headshot era? Yes. My Describe the Camaro the headshot. The Camaro T-top. Um, maybe we could, maybe you bring, bring I'm going to pull it up. Yeah. I'm going to actually get on that right now. I have a friend who's a photographer, very talented, named Forrest Casey. And he was like, I want to take pictures of you with your car. Because I got a Camaro, black Camaro t Peter the Persian. <clears throat> I bought it off another really funny comic, <laughs> Peter the Persian. And, uh, oh man, I'd never, like, I'd always really admired, like, cool cars. But yeah. I'd never had one and didn't, I was like, it's a point A to point B thing. It's more practical than anything. Yeah. And then I got a cool car that went fast and I was like, oh, 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 oh. We got it. life is different. Yeah. And it was a T-top, which is the most cool white trash thing you could possibly have. Yeah. I and I, they don't make T-tops anymore in any car, which is a bummer. Why is that? Dangerous? I think probably dangerous and impractical. Yeah. But they're so cool. It's like having a convertible but oh. without you, it's not as windy and as much of a thing. There it is. There it is. Yeah, you, oh, I'll, I'll try I'm, to, wearing a, I'm wearing a 70s Bush. I'll try to square it up baseball, maybe here. Bush maybe that. beer baseball. If you guys can see that at home. Jersey. You look like. Uh, I have a look, 70s haircut. I mean, you look that like is, that White Snake video. Remember how hot that yeah, thing yeah, was? Yeah. That yeah, is yeah, beautiful yeah. right You're there. But that's, that was like my essence. That wasn't like me putting on a costume. 
That was like who I was. That was man. everyday Danto right there. <laughs> everyday you know? Sandy. I mean, a bush light. Dude, when you... God, those pictures blew my mind. When you they're got great, those, they're great pictures, man. So you don't, uh, you don't, you don't smoke weed anymore, or do, you, do you? From time to time, but it's really just not conducive. You know, there was a point where I where I stopped for a while and then tried to get back into it, and I realized I'm not as when I when I even if I haven't done it that day or in a few days after, mm-hmm. just not as sharp. Yeah, I'm not as articulate. I'm not as confident. Right, and that's not to say that's how it is for everybody. Yeah, but that's how it is for me. And now, anytime I do it, I get way too fucked up. I think it is that way for most people. They just try to pretend it's not right, or they right. they go through life being like, "I'm better high." Like, eh, you're not. You're just stoned all the time, so right. you don't know the difference anymore. And when you're not, you feel weird because you're like, "That's how I was." Like, I was not. I, I'm not someone who can, who can even smoke every once in a while. Like if I, I haven't drank in, in seven years, but I fell That's out awesome. and I didn't smoke weed for almost like three and a half. And then I fell off the weed wagon mm-hmm. and it took me three years to get back on it. Like I was pretty much high almost every day and I got family watching. So sorry. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's legal here. So you it's legal. And now, and, and it's been, it's been several months now since I, since I quit again, but that first two weeks, like people who say pot's not addictive, I never... to- it's not physically addictive, but it's definitely, Oh dude, that first two weeks, mentally addictive. Yeah. Emotionally. That, yeah. Absolutely. It's an easy thing to lean on, especially now that it's legal and the technology of it has gotten so much better. Like for an edible when, when I was growing up and even until like, you know, seven, eight years ago, you had to, like, make brownies that you had to, like, grit your teeth and just get through to yeah. eat. Or, like, any edible tasted very, very like potently a, like, like marijuana, yeah. which isn't Good. my... Maybe it's just not my flavor palette, but I don't like that taste. But now they're great. But now it's, like, a mint, and it tastes nothing like weed. Yeah. And you forget that you even took it, and it fucks your world up like 40 minutes later you're just like oh i'm in another place yeah we went to ireland and on the way back um i I ate an entire candy bar like before takeoff (laughs) i mean an entire candy bar you're supposed to eat like five to ten i have a very similar story this was 180 grams and it was the closest thing i haven't eaten mushrooms in a long time but it was the closest thing to it in a long time and uh i mean i i thought my she was just my girlfriend at the time but my wife now I thought she was having a great time too, you know, because I'm laughing. I had tears coming down my eyes. Like, <laughs> I was laughing so hard. And I thought she was right on board with me. And she finally grabs my arm and she goes, You have to stop. <laughs> like I was freaking her out because she ate like half of it and she's not that girl at all. Right. So she was not having a good time. No. Oh, dude. It's hard to regulate edibles. I, in college, I was I, like all day, every day hot. Smoked constantly, and I went to Amsterdam for spring break, and I ate a candy bar. Mm-hmm. They, it was a kit. It was a Kit Kat, but it was called a Keef Kat. Yeah. You're so only supposed to eat like one or half of one of the bars. Mm-hmm. You know how it breaks up in the. I ate the whole thing. I was yeah. like, no, not a pussy. I smoke weed every day. I'll be I smoke weed. My tolerance is. Yeah. And I, I ate it on the train to go on a flight to Barcelona. And by the time we got to the airport, I was in full-blown meltdown, <laughs> paranoia, freak-out mode. I thought I lost my plane ticket and my passport. And I unpacked my bags. I was yelling at my friends to help me. It was sticking out of my back pocket the entire time. And then we got on the plane, and I, I was just, like, having, like, intensely hyperventilating, like, thinking to myself, I'm never going to tell a lie again. I'm, I'm going to stop smoking weed and doing drugs. I'm just going to study and get really good at whatever I'm studying and, like, yeah. be very serious and, like, never do anything wrong to anyone ever again. And I'm sitting next to this, like, French businessman, not speaking English, but... <laughs> All he needed to say were in his eyes looking at me with horror. He's yeah. wearing a suit. And I had asked the stewardess for water. He's like, it costs money. I was like, I don't care. Just bring it to me. And then I black, I like blacked out for a second. I woke up with puke all over myself. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy, the businessman sitting next to me was like, got up, like ran to the back of the plane. 
And the stewardess was like, oh, if you had told me you were sick, I would have brought you a water. I was like, I told you to bring me the water. And then they just like wiped me down with hot towels and were very nice to me for the rest of the time. But I definitely got some evil looks from that French guy. And then I slept on a park bench in Barcelona for like 12 hours after that because our hostel room wasn't ready when we got there. Yeah, I've got quite a few friends who a few of them had to call like an ambulance. They thought they were dying. Have you ever heard that 911 call? It's actually from my hometown. This yeah. cop stole weed brownies from, from an evidence locker and him and his wife ate them and they called 911 because they thought they were dying. Really? That's hilarious. It's great. Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. It's Another buddy of mine thought he was going to shit his pants and he like he was telling his mom when he woke up the next day, he was like, did I shit my pants? And she was like, no, but you're sure talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't he just go to the bathroom? I don't know. He said he was so stoned. He was just laying on the couch and couldn't move and, and, and he was like, I'm just going to shit my pants right here. I'm like, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. You made a conscious decision that you were going to shit your pants <laughs> and deal with it later. And he was that's like, how isn't it crazy how just like you take a puff or f a few of weed and you know you know what you're gonna get pretty much yeah there's there's obviously a sliding scale but you eat some weed and there's no telling like i have these mints and you ask if i smoke weed i don't really just because it wreaks havoc on my uh lungs and sinuses yeah. And just my whole re respiratory system. Yeah. So I try to avoid that. You know, every once in a while, if somebody's passed around a joint and I'm like at a wedding or I'm on vacation, sure, why not? Yeah. But if I'm going to do it in town, I've got these mints. They're 2.5 milligrams. Sometimes I bite them in half. Yeah. Like I just want the least amount, but a little bit of a change of how my head feels. You know yeah. what I mean? That's brilliant. But, and it's great. That's why the technology is, is so incredible of how they can regulate, you know, how much the dose is of it all. But does and it I, kick in quick for you? It, it still takes like 30, 40 minutes. But because it takes way too long for me. So I always eat more than I need to because I'm like, I don't feel you shit. Gotta, you got to be patient. You got to be patient. Yeah. You got to learn from your mistakes, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, these mints are great, especially for traveling, for like, anxiety i used to take xanax for traveling and i get anxiety so i would like take it if i ever like felt and, and just for fun too you know right <laughs> but it, it that's like a very serious drug and so now i have these like very 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 mild thc mints some of them are just cbd and it's just like it's amazing what they could do with that and it's like why have we been giving people these very serious chemical pharmaceutical drugs when we could have been regulating weed and doing that but like it's crazy how different it is when you eat it like yeah. one time your friend your buddy was like i had that same situation i was in college i ate a bunch of weed brownies and i was like afraid i was in hanging out in my parents basement i was afraid to go upstairs because i knew my mom was up there and i thought that she had like left and i went up there and she was there and me and her just watched the extends infomercial for two hours. <laughs> and I was just laughing my ass off the whole time. But it can turn on you so quick. Yeah. Well, I find I'm much better in control of my emotions without uh, without smoking weed. Me like, too. Like I used to get, um, like if I got if I got in a funk about something, it would take me way longer to get out of it, and I I can. Like yesterday, I got into a bit, of a bit of an argument with someone through email, but I didn't. I, I just refused to argue with them. Like they were saying some some shit that the old Tim Gaither would have been like, "Listen, motherfucker, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, kick your ass. How about that?" You know. But instead, I was just like, "All right, buddy, well, you take care." And I just kept sending back nice emails. Every time they would send a kind of a, a negative email, I would just be like, "Be like, all right, well, I wish you nothing but the best. Take care." And I was kind of proud of myself. Yeah, afterwards. that's great. I think that weed makes you more susceptible to the bad thoughts. Like, I think it's important to have those bad thoughts every once in a while just to see. But be able to what's dismiss in your head. them. But yeah. to be able to, like, rationalize. Yeah, exactly. And dismiss them. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you, even if it's late, you know, because you smoke weed, it's, it stays in your system for, like, two to four weeks. Yeah, at least. So, you know, you don't necessarily feel it, but it's there. 
Yeah. And it fucks with your brain chemistry. It's a small ball and chain. It can be. Like, yeah, you can yeah. feel it. But I, I like what you were saying, the 2.5, 3, 3 gram, like, microdose style. Like Yeah, the microdose style is the way to Especially go. to take off for anxiety. Like, there's been times I'm at the grocery store and I'm like, I set my shit down and walk out. I'm like, I just can't. You yeah. know, it's just too much. Too but if I had three milligrams of THC or CBD, right. I'd be like, screw it. A hundred percent. And I used to not be able to go on stage if I had gotten high. And, you know, th- I stopped smoking weed around the comedy store. Even when I used to do it all the time, I just wouldn't smoke it here because I couldn't go on stage. And there would be times when it'd be like, there's a fallout who wants to go up. And I'd be like, fuck, I'm high. I don't want to. Right. Like, but but with the small enough dose, I can still like make eye contact with you know like I used to get so high I couldn't make eye contact with people yeah or I I think that there was a cop behind me when I was driving at night if it was like <laughs> a beat up Ford Taurus from '89 you know what I mean yeah. like everything just fucked with me how uh, how long have you been doing comedy now going on twelve years okay yeah a long time. Yeah, well, so you were, you'd only been at about two years then when I first moved out here. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so I've been out here almost 10 years now. It's crazy. Um, and how long have you, do you still open for poly sometimes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, do you want to want to do your poly impersonation for us? <laughs> Dude, it's, it's not an impersonation. What's up, bros? I just popped in to say what's up. It's your boy, Polly Shar, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's the answer. Because what? It's my mom's club. Right. You can do whatever you want, Polly. Right. Yeah. Well, if uh, if Sandy was in here, he would agree that he does the best Polly that there is. Oh, hey, guys, I'm back. Yeah, there he is. But you do, man. You do the best Polly. Well, I've spent a lot of time studying, you know. Does, the he, does he like for you to do his, the impersonation? You know, the first time I ever did it on stage, mm-hmm. I was on the road with him. This goes back to what we were originally talking about with, like, having family. I was in Barrie, Ontario, which is, like, two and a half hours into Canada from Michigan. So my parents came to the show. Yeah. They drove. And uh, I was like, I, this may be my third time opening for Polly. And I was just like, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. So I was just like, I'm going to go out there and do it. And I did the impression of him. And then, you know, he has a merch line and part of the job for, for opening for Polly is selling merch. And this gross girl asked me to sign her tits. And my parents <laughs> had to see me do that. <laughs> and my, even my mom was like, I would be proud of you signing a girl's boobs, but not that girl. Yeah. <laughs> I never understood the whole boob signing anyway. It's like, you're going to go wash that off. Yeah. I don't so get it either. Why? Yeah, when I, I the first bro gig I ever did, um, and he didn't pick me. It just worked out that way that I, I opened for Polly in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Oh, cool. Yeah. and uh, South Dakota, the way better of the two Dakotas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is, except North Dakota sky is really beautiful. But other than that, uh, I don't see why. I'm not saying is. North Dakota isn't beautiful. It's just completely barren. Yeah, other than that, there's not much reason to live up there. But I... I it was my first time on the road, and I, I did my first MC set, and I went and sat down, and this really pretty girl came up to me, and and I, you know, I'm like 23, and I was thinking, this is how it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. You, you you get girl, oh, yeah. you get girls now after mm-hmm. four years of getting rejected in college. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, <laughs> chicks are gonna dig you because yeah. you do stand up. And this really pretty girl came, and she sat down. She asked me a few questions about myself, and I'm thinking, like, God, this is awesome. I can't believe this. Is how it's gonna be now. And then she's like, so, do you know how to get a hold, do you know how to talk to Polly, or how can I get a hold of Polly? And I'm like, ah, shit. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my first few years of comedy. You don't care about me. <laughs> yeah. Well, Polly's girls and I never jived. It was always just, like, other other people that came to the show. Girls that were like, I love Polly, but what's this opener out to, you know? Yeah. But, uh... So I did Polly at that show in Barrie, Ontario. I, I did my impression of him on stage for the first time. And then after my parents left and the crowd left, he's like, dude, you're an impression of me. And he waited a beat. And I was like, he'd see me like get tensed up. He's like, you got to do it at every show. <laughs> They're coming to see me. So when you do an impression of me, it's like they get all excited for what's about to happen. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I was like, he he knew to like make me sweat about it for a second. Yeah. But then he like you know green light. Yeah. And so I used to do it when I opened for him a lot and kind of faced it out, but still do it around the store. Definitely got me. You know, at the comedy store, there's there's like two different kinds of acceptance levels. There's obviously like getting past for stage time. But then there's like the social acceptance level of like the people who have been here forever. And I, I would argue that that's harder to get past into that than yeah. it is. Both are very hard. Yeah. But both are different. And yeah. it wasn't until I started doing my impression of Polly around the store that that's, that's what got me accepted generally made you memorable socially. people yes. were like dude have you seen that new yeah yeah dude can you talk about the film room stuff like your oh, first yeah. job dude this guy sat in the back now vip bar for months logging tapes the size of like small cars Be- like beta max yeah. and reel to reel and vhs and high eight tapes so when i first moved out here i worked at national lampoon and a friend of mine from growing up started interning for Polly because they met at a nightclub and he didn't want to do it anymore. So he got me to replace him. And I interned for Polly after working a full day at work. I would go and like work for him for like three, four hours at night. And then after about six months of doing that, I was like, Hey, can you give me a job at the comedy store? So he had me logging and digitizing all the archive tapes okay so i got to see all the stuff you know there was a lot of you know corny 80s comedy but there was like some gems some genuine yeah, really that. cool stuff and uh kinnison and all that shit. Kin- some rips and like bootleg tapes of kinnison from la jolla and robin williams a lot of just interviews that weren't on that are, still aren't on youtube from like 2020 from the comedy boom and just vignettes of of the comedy store and people's audition tapes of like chelsea handler's audition tape yeah and like some of our friends here's audition tapes yeah from like their first year or two of comedy you know stuff like that yeah or like people who have gotten famous they're you know, before they were famous. Before they were famous, yeah. Yeah, I bet that was cool as shit. Like a video of Sam Tripoli with hair down to his waist. Yeah. Like doing like heavy metal comedy <laughs> in Vegas. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And I, that, that back bar used to be my office and it was wall to wall tapes, stacks of tapes, and then two of the old school big screen TVs with like a scratchy surface. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, like the 800 pound big screen, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like the stuff that, that <laughs> the is nut- literally eating away at the earth because they're giant and toxic, yeah, <laughs> hooked up to like Betamax players, VCRs, DVD players. And I would just like watch and hit record. And did you ever out. come across any Bill Hicks like working out shit late at night? Because that, no, no, that Bill, be... I didn't find any Bill Hicks, okay. There'd be like stuff from TV and Stuff that was already out, mm-hmm. but not, nothing, nothing. You know, he worked out here, but I, I think it was kind of brief. Yeah, yeah, because he was here, and then he went back to Houston because he they had written a script. I forget his buddy, but anyway, the, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, he was here for a while, then went back and bounced. But out. also, there was like absolutely nothing from the original room. There just wasn't. I mean, there was some prior stuff mm-hmm. from the original room, but he was already like old and. I think she only started letting people, certain people take stuff in there, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. There wasn't anything from the original room. And then there was, like, professionally produced stuff from the main room that she, I think, was trying to sell. So you didn't, or, come, you didn't come out here and originally start working at the comedy store? Not immediately, but pretty soon after. Okay. I, I moved out here in June of 06, started doing comics, did my first open mic. In August of 06, I'd done sketch and improv in college okay. and, you know, for work at National Lampoon. But I didn't do my first open mic till August of 06, and then I didn't start working here until February of 07. Okay. And uh, it was, man, I, I was not well received here at first because I was like, 
Polly's. Everyone I'll thought it was like that. Polly's was... spy. And Tommy, the old co- talent coordinator, told everybody, well, he's Polly's spy. Okay. Oh, really? Just watch what you say in front. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a great thing for him to say. Right. Well, he needs eyes and ears on the inside. Nobody knows this and, guy, okay? Well, Polly didn't really help because when I was on the road with him, Polly called, he's like, did watch this. He called Paul, uh, Tommy on speaker. He's like, Tommy picks up, call me, sort of this Tommy, how can I help you? And Polly's like, dude, what's up? Are you high? <laughs> dude, are you just smoking pot at my mom's club? Just doing whatever you want because no one's there to watch you? You're probably high as fuck right now, right? Right, Sandy? And I was just like, oh. uh, hi, hi, Tommy. And and Tommy's like, would always just give me a hard time. Like, this is you can't just waltz in here and think that you own the place because you work for Polly. Yeah. Okay. But keep coming and working out. It's an artist colony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, uh, where was I? Where was I going with with the Tommy stuff? Just know. how you entered and like you were an outsider, kind of. Oh yeah, through yeah. Polly. So oh, so Tommy didn't really like. You know what? Tommy used to do have an interesting approach to things because you know, like he would do stuff like that. He would meddle, but then he would try to play it off like, "Well, I was testing you, and you passed." Yeah, I failed a couple of those. But I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was a like, couple I of. I was testing you. Well, I almost beat your ass. So right. Well, I managed to, like, pick up people's shifts, even though I wasn't supposed to be, like, working the lot in the back door. And one night, I was working, I was covering somebody's shift, seating the OR, and it was on this night, Boon Shakalaka sexually assaulted the door guy in the back and the lot guy, Danis and O'Neill, and they quit. And I had been drinking a little bit, but the manager, Dean Gelber, still made me park cars, <laughs> work the back door, yep. and seat in the OR all at the same time. Yeah. But in his defense, the club was so dead at that point, yeah, there was probably really 30 matter. people total. There in were the- more cars in the parking lot than there were people in the audience. For people who don't know, the comedy's part of, part of becoming a paid regular is you get to park in the lot, and parking in L.A. is a bitch. So getting to park in the lot is a big deal because you literally get to park in the back of the club, and it's pretty cool. But the people who run the lot... I don't know how the fuck you guys do that. I don't it's know really how. Hard. I, I don't know. It's like a. Puzzle. It's like playing playing Tetris with thirty thousand dollar plus pieces. Yeah. And I, one time I fucked up Bill Burr's car. Oh, <laughs> oh and, shit! And I was like, I'm so sorry. He's like, No, no, it's cool. Uh, you know, my my girlfriend ran into it earlier today, so don't worry about it. Yeah. And she's like, Are you serious? He's like, Yeah, same exact spot. Weird. I was like. Oh my god, that, such Dude, dumb luck. And another awesome. time, Louis C.K., this is like before he was Louis C.K., but like, yeah, I'd still, you know, comedy people knew who he was. Mm-hmm. It was like during Lucky Louis, remember his HBO show? Sure. Uh, and, and he had come, and I was working a lot, and it was like very tight, and I turned his car around. It took me about 17 moves of like, Putting in reverse, right. moving the wheel a little bit, driving forward, putting in reverse. I do that and not in the comedy store parking lot, just yeah. in general, because I suck at driving. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm terrible at parallel parking, but this was just like, I'm trying to move the car 180 degrees in maybe about six foot diameter. Mm-hmm. So, and then he's watching me the whole time, and nothing makes you sweat more than like driving somebody else's car while they're watching you. Yeah, I know. And uh, he, I finally did it, and I was like, it was an honor to almost get to wreck your rental car. And yeah. he laughed, and that was kind of cool until, you know, it turns out he's a sexual deviant. Yeah, you should write a new show called Unlucky Louie. <laughs> 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 because, man, I mean, you talk about going from the king of the mountain to you can't even get on the mountain. I mean, I read I, a thing today where it said, used to be a regular at the comedy cellar. And it's like, is, is he? Did he get unpassed there? Yeah, I, mean, I think he just stepped away. Right, but like, what's gonna happen when he wants to come back? Are they gonna be like, "Sorry, you can't"? How's that gonna no. go? I mean, they let him back in after Pootie Tang, so <laughs> people love that movie. Hey, do people have questions for us, John? Um, actually, we got Justin Leon said, "Man, I really want to smoke some weed right now with this conversation." Uh, that was that was about fifteen minutes ago, and then uh, Michael Silsby. 
says, man, Tim could really put some beer down back in 95. Boy, the college days. Yeah, I could. That was a... Speaking of that, that guy that just wrote in, Michael Silsby, um, he could have wrestled Division One anywhere, except he loved partying. I mean, bad. He was like, that guy, Michael, you would smoke seeds and stems. I've seen you do that before, crushing them up, talking about how you're going to kick someone's ass the next day. And I'm like, uh, not if you keep smoking that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Resin hits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this dude could... Uh, I think I found a roach on the ground, and it's just like... A sunflower seed. Yeah. I did want to ask Sandy, I know you're performing here regularly. I'm sorry I'm off mic listeners, okay. but uh, where nationally, where are you going to be recently? I know we talked about you have a podcast coming out soon. I'm, I'm putting on a podcast, so I'm about to become a dad, and I do a podcast with, with Avery Pearson, who's got a 14-month-old, so he's sort of shepherding me into fatherhood. So we're doing a podcast called Rad Dad, and we're putting it out on Father's Day. Very nice. And I'm headlining the San Francisco Punchline on June 13th. And I'll be there for the following weekend with Bobby Lee. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you want to pimp out? How long have we been been on? Right now, I think we're like 40, like 43 minutes. I wanted to ask you about Mitzi. Did you have much interaction with Mitzi? Not a ton, but Polly was, was considerate enough to bring me around her. You know, he understood the the significance of it, but she had always all already been in declining health. So whenever I spent any time with her, it was one of three things: she thought I was somebody else, and was super warm to me. Yeah, didn't know who I was and was indifferent, or thought I was somebody that she didn't like. Yeah, so it was just like a mixed bag. But it was just cool to get to be around her. Yeah, get to go to her house. That was the coolest. Like, get to see the house. Yeah. And uh, and just be in her presence. I mean, just because that, that woman has literally seen, she literally saw everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was she controlled of, everything. I was one of the last people that she, that she passed, and that will always be one of the biggest honors of my career, if not the oh, biggest, yeah. you know? Super cool. Um, for that to have happened. And uh, I never got to actually speak to her really um so that always kind of sucked but she came around a little bit when i worked here and people still i mean she had people walking with her and i don't think she could go upstairs anymore but she still put the fear of god in everybody working tuck in their shirt asked to borrow a pair of black pants because it was like you know, here you gotta be wearing all black, but people would show up in jeans because it was lax. She wasn't around anymore. But if she showed up, people would freak out. Yeah. And I, I, that, the first time I met her was actually when I was still being a door guy here, and we like had a nice little interaction. Times like, well, she likes your energy. Because if she didn't, I wouldn't have you keep being a door guy. I'd send you back to your cave. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I miss the days of working here. I remember thinking, people would always tell me, like, you'll look back on these days, and I'm like, no, I won't. Yeah, when I this first... This is a, such a struggle, but I really do miss those days. Yeah, when I first moved out here, I remember telling someone, uh, when I, I think it was right after I got passed and all that, and, and I was like, this is the brokest I've ever been, and the happiest. Yeah. You know, because it just felt like I was doing what I was supposed to do with my life and all that stuff and, and it, it didn't matter you know that's when I kind of realized like oh it's not all about money it's right. you know and so and even now when I have a really good set here something about it means more than than just you know having a good set just anywhere you know because this is such a fucking hard room you know and yeah you know we got to wrap this up pretty quick but this room can be so I've been on the road and just had like six or seven of the best shows of my career and then come back here and been humbled in a hurry. Yeah. You know, just like, what the fuck? I remember coming when I was younger coming back from the road and being like, I'm good. Just all the confidence in the world go back and bomb my ass off in New York. Mm-hmm. And like, but all those jokes that I wrote on stage worked on stage Yeah, before. Yeah, it really brings you back down to reality. And having a great set here is better than anywhere else but there's sometimes when i walk away from it and i'm doing all right and i'm on my way but like sometimes i'll have a really good set i'll feel really really good about it until i'm in my car on the way home i'm just like 
if I do that well in the hardest room, yeah. why aren't I fucking doing, why aren't I famous or rich? Yeah. Like, what, like, it feels good until the reality sets in of like, wait, I can do what all these other people before me have conquered. Yeah. So, you know, but it, it's all just a matter of time. Yeah, and nothing, no room teaches you how to disguise jokes and make them look like conversation better than the original yeah. room. Mm-hmm. You know, like I realized pretty quickly coming out here, like, oh, you can't just go up and do your material like normal. You have to make it look like you're just talking to the crowd and sneak in your jokes right. as part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, this guy's a genius. Right. Well, I've done that joke 700 times. Right. You know, right. So, yeah, that's the best part of it. Um, is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Um, check out my fitness videos on Instagram at Sandy Danto and um, I'll be in the Trevor Moore Comedy Central special um, I forgot the name of it but um, real quick Will C says congratulations on the baby oh thank you thank you I haven't seen that guy in a while miss that guy you guys have got a nice uh, Kansas, Kansas City contingent dude there's nothing to do there so you grow up entertaining yourself and then <laughs> lo and behold yeah Speaking of that, um, go ahead and plug your thing. Oh, it's called The Story of Our Times on Comedy Central. I think it's airing on 420. And uh, check me out. I'll be in an episode of uh, Please Understand Me on Facebook video coming out, I think, this summer. And uh, I'll be on the next season. Hopefully my part doesn't get cut out of uh, Alone Together. Nice. Cool, man. And Tim, could I ask you just to ask the listeners to subscribe, maybe leave some comments, some likes? Yeah, like, if you're if you're watching this, you're on my fan page right now, and uh, like that fan page, Tim Gaither, and uh, go to my website, timgaithercomedy.com, and all my social media links are on there, Instagram, Twitter, and all that stuff. We appreciate you following all that. That all helps out, and I haven't been great so far in my career about pimping social media. It's never been my thing, but... Um, trying to get with it as best I can so make sure you like all that stuff and follow me and I wanted to say real quick before we end this podcast that uh, our condolences to the Tonkinson family um, a friend of mine Craig Tonkinson and a, a good comedian friend of the Kansas City comedy community um, passed away a couple days ago he was tragically murdered by uh, at four o'clock in the morning yeah by uh, this was literally two days ago um, at four o'clock in the morning it was weird I, I I told my wife, I was like, I had a really weird dream at 4 o'clock in the morning, Kansas City time. At 6 a.m., I woke up, and uh, not to say that we were, you know, anyway, not to make it about me, but it's just weird how, anyway, I can't believe he's gone, and yeah. condolences to the uh, talking He's a really good guy. And he was a great dude, and... Uh, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, he was... How was he murdered? I don't know details. I just know uh, from what I heard, he thought someone stole his. He was in a bad part of town, and he thought someone stole his wallet, and he confronted the guy, and and they shot him. And if I'm speaking out of turn or don't know what I'm talking about, I apologize to anybody who's listening and knows uh, what happened because I that's just what I heard. It is, sure. yeah. It's like not even thirty six hours ago. Yeah, it's not even thirty six hours ago Holy that, shit. that this happened. So uh, uh, prayers for that family and uh, everything else and. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a way to wrap up a comedy show. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Craig, man. Everybody have like, a positive day. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, you know, as cheesy as it sounds and all that, try to be nice to people because you never know. Today could be. Dude, at our age, it's every two weeks now, man. It's like every three, two, four weeks, someone's. Yeah, and you got to take care of yourselves because my friends are dropping dead all over the place for various reasons, and. Uh, Anyway, love yourselves and each other, and uh, thanks for listening. God bless all of you. And uh, you got anything to add, John? No. Oh, uh, hey, how's it going? That's John. Yeah, just go to jonisheer.com. Uh, Kansas City, May 10th. Some shit in Arkansas, Paducah, Kentucky. Hashtag J-O-N is here, and that'll be it. Yeah, I'll be at the Virginia Beach Funny Bone this week, uh, Wednesday through Sunday. Um, if you're in that area, we'd love to see you. And, uh, yeah, go to my YouTube, Tim Gaither, youtube.com slash Tim Gaither, and subscribe. And we're going to have a lot of new videos up there soon. So, anyway, we're going to close this out. Thanks for watching, everybody, and uh, take care. Bye.